We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. January 6th, the day everybody is talking about for justice to be served for wrongdoing. But will it be served? That is a question on everybody's mind about whether or not Arsenal failed to control their players. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Blackman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Hello, everybody. That's right. January 6th, a famed day for justice uh, for Arsenal players for failing to be controlled in the 50-something minute against Manchester City, 59th minute, whatever it was. The point is um, just a shocking display of... of a poor behavior, poor self-control. I'm kidding. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. And we'll talk about it because ridiculous stuff is what we have to talk about right now. We don't have much football. We do have transfer stuff to discuss and fixtures being moved around to make sure that we have maximum pain and, and maximum inconvenience. So we will discuss that as the conspiracy against Arsenal rolls on. Uh, I am now in Las Vegas. Uh, we'll be in that big, beautiful new studio tomorrow with Scott. So we'll have another podcast for you then, and that'll be out on video as well, is my belief and expectation. Uh, but as we know, expectations don't always work out, so we will see how that goes. Um, and I'm recording, obviously, not in the regular setup. So hopefully the sound and all that will be good, but I do have a beautiful view of some mountains from a hotel room here in Las Vegas, and that's kind of nice. Enough of that nonsense. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Yeah, let's deal with the silliness, just the real pointless silliness first, Paul, which is just this FA charge. And like, it does feel to me, I have to admit a little bit like, oh, you think you're going to have all the media and everybody and all the fans talking about how bad our referee did against Manchester City? Well, how about you take this slap on the wrist for failing to control your play? Like, it feels so petty and unnecessary. And I understand that maybe some bottles or things were thrown um, when the winning goal was scored, and maybe there's conflation about what the charge is for. That is not what they said it was for. They said it was for failure to control the players uh, after the red card incident, so I have to take them at their word, which is sort of silly to begin with. But, I mean, can you find any particular reason why this should be happening? I, I have never, ever, ever, ever believed in the conspiracy against Arsenal stuff. I think it's silly. But I have to admit, like, this is just absolutely mind-boggling why they're doing this. Yeah, I think I think it shows us they felt a bit humiliated by the whole thing in that game. They'd lost the run of the game. They looked bad, so somebody was to blame. Uh, I mean, and the problem was BT Sport obsessing about VAR calls and all that kind of stuff. It just... the 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 spotlight on that game and the officiating just never ended for them. Um, and beyond the VAR calls, like Atwell kind of lost the run of the game and run of the, the run of the players. The thing that strikes me though, is if you were going to penalize somebody for doing something, uh, Rodri should have been penalized for pulling off his shirt, uh, running over to celebrate in front of our fans and, getting super aggressive and winding up the crowd. I mean, that's that's bad news. 
um, and that's actually somewhat dangerous. Fortunately, it's uh, our well-behaved fans he's riling up who threw a few empty plastic bottles at him and hopefully not too much more. Uh, it's not like it's going to kick off and we're going to tear down half of London. But, you know, he's not to know what he's kicking off there. That's actually the dangerous part of it. The bit on the pitch is just Atwell losing control of the game um, because he, in part, he just doesn't have much present uh, presence as a referee. Uh, but his series of decisions leading up to that, I think, is what drops him in it. Um, he commands no authority. He sensed that uh, decisions were going left, right, and center. Um, and uh, basically the FA's coming back to that and saying, well, that was an embarrassing day, but it's not our fault. It's Arsenal's fault. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And I mean, I, I think the problem with it, right, is that what you want, Clive, is if you're a league, is for these to not be talking points, for these things to go away. And like a well-run league finds a way to make something else the headline. But instead they're going to add fuel to the fire of a conspiracy against Arsenal uh, of the injustice by bringing this FA charge. And like, it, it all feels very disconnected and and nonsensical. I mean, I pretty much only watch, you know, football now and Arsenal specifically and, you know, some European football and stuff. But I, you know, I've watched other leagues a lot in my life and I feel that other leagues work really hard to be transparent about why calls are made, how calls are made to professionalize their referees. I'm not saying there aren't horrible, horrible calls in other leagues, but like usually they front up to them. They explain the decisions. They're very forthcoming and transparent about them. And then they try to move on because they want them out of the headlines. They don't, you know, they don't want the referees to be the stars of the show, but you have these sort of celebrity referees in the premier league. You have referees who want to be the center of attention. You have a league that protects them. There's no transparency. There's no requirement to explain calls or how games are refereed or or inconsistencies. Now, I want to be clear. I know it's a hard job, and I think referees do a decent job a lot of the time. I mean, the problem with these conversations, they can make it sound like we think every game is the worst refereed game in the world. And I know there are a lot of people that look at the individual decisions from the Manchester City game and actually say individually, none of them are so bad as to be an injustice. It's the collective outcome of all of the marginal calls sort of going against us. But it just does seem really weird to me that there's a lack of sort of transparency and clarification about these things. And then for this charge to come, I mean, Clive, for me, it it doesn't so much point the finger at the referees as it does the organizing body and the the organization, the league itself, to have so little transparency and so little self-awareness in terms of controlling the narrative. It's like, why you would want to keep this in the headlines is beyond me. Oh, they don't care about that, mate. They care about protecting their own. I think this whole situation with the Man City game and the fallout has really been a link. You know, we haven't mentioned VAR really. I think it's all one and the same thing. You know, how referees manage VAR and how they're managed by VAR is, is the key mm. thing. And I, and I will say <laughs> that VAR's been better this season. We're talking about it a lot less if you look at it from as a whole. But it just seems to have got off track in the last sort of month, three, four weeks. And um, we're going back to the dark old days. And <clears throat> I think managing this relationship with Vi is a key thing. And managing what it does to our own fan expectations, we expect more perfection, I'm afraid. We expect transparency. We, we expect perfection. But it's the same human beings looking at our screen the same people that was giving bad decisions previously. And they're all overworked. The quality is not great. There's no challenge or accountability to those individuals. And now the whole refereeing profession is being questioned. Have we got the right people? Have we got the right ages? Have we got the right diversity? Do we do we have the right people in charge of our game? And are we working hard enough, given the quality of the Premier League football product, given that quality, are we working hard enough to make sure we have the best officials out there managing the best league in the world. And I think that's the question that's made everyone have a deep intake of breath. And I think there's going to be a reaction to this. And we'll probably go away because another game will come up soon. But I think there needs to be a review of refereeing in this country for the Premier League. And that's not on not just a reaction to the Man City game because you could argue technically that every decision they did was more correct than wrong. 
It's the general feeling of how a game is managed, and you know where I stand on that. The games could be managed better. There could be a higher quality of individuals in charge of these games that have got the individual character to manage a game of football without reverting to yellow cards at the wrong times, which takes away from the overall product, which we are so invested in as, as football fans and, and watchers and supporters, etc. So that's the challenge for the league. That's a Premier League discussion that needs to needs to happen because what the Premier League is doing to the other five European leagues, we, we're smashing them into the ground when it comes to football. But we will not get... And I have muted Clive in an attempt to mute myself while coughing. And I'm leaving that in, Clive, so you can unmute yourself and keep going. I'm not editing this. This is this is the unvarnished Ars- the Arsenal Vision unvarnished podcast, Clive. I don't even know if you can unmute yourself, but if you can hear me, yeah, yeah there it is. Um, I, that was that was world class podcast hosting from me. So now, not only did you miss Clive, who was bringing it to a crescendo of of intelligent uh, point making, I, I, I have my cough now prominently displayed, and you know. Is a cough just a cough these days? Uh, we, we certainly hope so. Clive, I, I apologize sincerely. Please carry I don't, on. Well, I'm not sure I can carry on anymore because <laughs> I'd reached my crescendo. Because apparently I can do that. <laughs> I've reached my crescendo. Who do you think? Oh, I'm not a machine. <laughs> so no, basically. You peaked at the wrong time, Clive. It's happened, it happens to all of us. We don't have a sponsor for that yet. <laughs> so basically, yeah, I think what we're doing by looking at ourselves from a refereeing perspective, I hope the Premier League is really going to take this moment and say, you know what, we do have a great league, we do have a great football product, but we need to make sure it's looked after appropriately with the best possible people. Are we working hard enough to do that? That's the question I'd ask myself. Above and beyond that charge, I don't care about it. That's just small people doing small-minded things. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head and and the crux of the conversation for me, and I, I want to move on from this conversation because I don't think it's particularly riveting, but like amid all the sense of injustice that we have now and how we are galvanized as a as a group of supporters and feeling that they are out to get us and it, it's not paranoia if the people really are out to get you by the way um is is just the larger point that for a league that wants to be the best league in the world that wants to be maybe the best sporting league in the world full stop the refereeing side of it is a place where it can be improved, but not just the refereeing, but the way the whole league looks at refereeing and manages the referees and handles these topics. And if there's one thing I think the Premier League has been consistently just really bad at, it's managing optics. Like the Premier League is officious and obsessed with details of rules and things like that instead of realizing that like the optics are what matter. Do the fans like it? Are the fans enjoying it? And look, the fans love it and they'll lap it up because – it's such an ela- there's so much elasticity of demand in football. Like you can screw with fans a lot and still not lose them. We've seen that uh, over the last couple of seasons. But I think the league can just do a better job with optics in terms of understanding that every little detail of your precious little rules and protecting your precious little people is not as important as making the game better for the fans um, and a better product. I hate that word, but that's what it is. So this is patently ridiculous, and uh, I assume nothing will come of it. But knowing the Premier League will probably lose a couple of the remaining players we have for the derby away to Spurs and have to play like Charlie Patino, who will score a hat trick and they will still lose. And now an alarm is going off on my phone as the, let's just call it what it is, the chaos of this episode <laughs> rolls on. Um Look, this is fun. This is fun. You know, I feel like if anything, you know, we must be too polished. And and this this is a perfect chance for us to get back to our roots of being a complete fucking mess. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about something. It's like Hangover exciting. 4 there in Vegas, isn't it? I, I mean, I got to kick some of these people have, out of this room here, too, eventually. You have <laughs> I don't a mango tiger in your bathroom. I, I mean, it's possible. You know, if you hear a roar in a few minutes, I mean, eventually I'll find my own mute button and then all of this will be sorted out. Um, Okay, so topic number two is, I think, more relevant than topic number one, which maybe would have made sense for it to be topic number one. But you know what? It's keeping with the theme of this episode. And that's the moving fixtures. And, you know, somehow Liverpool are going to be able to play their FA Cup tie, having not been able to play their League Cup tie. And the whole thing just feels like they're making it up as they go along. I don't really, I mean, look, COVID is no joke and no one wants to make COVID a tribal issue. The point is, because this is an issue that is not going away, it seems pretty clear to me that you just have to play with whatever players you have. I mean, that's sort of where we're at with this thing. Either you're there or you're not because there have been situations 
you know, where teams are getting games postponed because of injuries more than COVID and situations where teams during the pandemic have been forfeited, you know, for not being able to put players on the pitch. So I don't, I, you know, much like the refereeing discussion, Paul, there, there is just a massive question of consistency and transparency around what number of COVID-specific absences will lead to a postponement. When does the team forfeit? When does the team have to play? Why can Liverpool not play on the Thursday, but they can play at the weekend? And why does an assistant coach getting COVID or a player getting COVID from their U19s or whatever who wasn't eligible anyway, like, what? why does that matter? And now... The really unfortunate thing is when we had League Cup, FA Cup, League Cup before the Spurs game, you could do some interesting things there, I think, in terms of prioritization. Now we have League Cup, Spurs, League Cup, and that feels different. So first, let's just deal with the issue of the rules. They got to get their hands around this, don't they, Paul? Because I don't think anyone could articulately and accurately explain what the rules are right now as it pertains to how you get a game called off or kept on. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to them, it's not like anybody knew COVID might be a thing this winter. Great point. Great. I mean, great, great, great point. Like, how could anyone know that two years into an ongoing pandemic, there would be an ongoing pandemic? Yeah. I mean, the Omicron thing has been rumbling for a while. So, um, like, people knew this could get bad, and it's winter when things would get worse. And You almost have to celebrate their optimism in thinking it wouldn't be an issue, so there's no need to have a policy. <laughs> and fixture congestion, and, like, it's just like, you just, you, you had to assume this was going to happen, and if it didn't, great, you wouldn't need all your prep, but uh, it's kind of a mess. And I don't believe in the conspiracy thing, but what I do believe on this question and the previous question I know you're still debating the order you could have done them in. Um, certainly the Premier League cares about the optics of its big teams. So, you know, when, and they need this Premier League thing to rumble on as a contest through the through the rest of the season. So if anybody thinks Liverpool won't get a little bit of favoritism here along the way to keep this Premier League alive when City have pulled whatever it is, 11 points or whatever I have way. to stop you, Paul. Yeah. The easiest way for them to keep this Premier League thing alive would have been to give us our penalty and not City and yeah. not San Gabriel <laughs> off, and they'd have a beautiful Premier League title chase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that that's kind of within the confines of a game, within the confines of the narrative of, like, it was too late. They're not going to be radioing, radioing down to the pitch. Start giving decisions to Arsenal to keep this league alive. Plus, the I think the Chelsea-Liverpool game was after that. So they didn't know how much trouble it. I think if they had to do over, they'd be like uh, telling out, well, look, if you can give anything Arsenal's way, you know, we're not saying you should, but we're not saying you shouldn't. But when it comes to like Liverpool's fixture congestion, they got a lot of leverage with the Premier League to say, listen, we want to put out a strong team to, to get results and hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, if If you want this thing to be alive, come March and April, um, don't make us send out the tea lady a right back because we will do it. They won't. But <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. So, like, I do think big clubs have a little bit of leverage. Obviously, the Premier League um, wants to keep the product, as you said, rolling along. We may not see it as such, but they sure do. Um but at the look, at the end of the day, there's a lot of, I could get wound up in terms of the inequities of it all. But um, at the end, like I kind of decide, let them do what they're going to do. I think we've handled ourselves pretty well in terms of squad fitness, uh, protocols, you know, touch wood. I'm the jinx machine, all that kind of stuff. But like we've done pretty well managing things. And I still think that will come to our advantage in that we're just, you know, we're going to end up playing the players that we generally want to play when we want to play them in the competitions. And even if others have fixtures called off, that means fixture congestion for us. Uh, I mean, it still impacts on us, but I just think like we've managed ourselves well and that will kind of pay off over time. So, I mean, look, it, it's just the problem that because of the lack of transparency, it's also very hard to understand when the decisions are made. And let's not forget that there are fans who will have moved things around in their life to have been available to see Arsenal play, who will have flown from 
you know, countries far and wide who will have moved their life around, you know, people in North London who schedule their life around these sorts of things. Speaking of which, uh, Tim, back from Brazil just as we are recording this, so he will be uh, on again very soon. And we welcome him back to his native land, which is uh, probably a a difficult reality for him to adjust to weather-wise, but that's another story. Um, so yeah, I mean, the whole thing, I think, again, just revolves around the fact that if you don't make things clear, then you fall into chaos. I mean, the one thing I've learned from parenting, right, is that kids will pretty much do what you tell them as long as the rules are clear and consistent. But when the rules are, cl- are unclear and inconsistent, they just act out and they get wild. And like in general... I think the frustration people have with this stuff is, I mean, you've got clubs, actual club Twitter accounts taking the piss about games they had to play with, you know, U20 players or, you know, clubs taking the piss because they had, uh, they were literally uh, forfeited from games because they, they couldn't put teams on the pitch during this pandemic. And then other, other teams just get their games moved. It is, it is difficult to understand Clive. And I think the interesting question now, the question that I think is more relevant to us more than, again, another tedious conversation about how the people running the game don't get it, is what we do with this now. I think you had said, and I sort of agree, Clive, that going strong for the first leg home game made sense, rotating for the FA Cup and potentially the second leg made sense to the extent that there's even rotation available to do, and really making sure you are lined up and ready to go for the Derby, which is the big game. Well, now you have the home leg on a Thursday, I believe, and the Derby on a Sunday. And that changes the calculus for me. Now, I tweeted out that to me, this makes it clear that you have to play the kids in the League Cup. And there were a lot of people that felt very upset about that on Twitter. You have to believe that to be the case. It is, it is in fact, the case. Um, but Clive, like, I can't help what I think. I would not take a League Cup to drop three points away to Spurs. And some people may say I'm absolutely crazy. It's an actual trophy. I, I've just... Maybe it's ever since the, the the League Cup final we lost. I just find it very hard to care about this competition, and I don't know that winning it would make me feel great if we drop the points at Spurs and finish one point out of the top four at the end of the season. So I don't know. How do you how do you think the club now has to manage preparing for this tie in light of the Derby being a few days later? Yeah, so it's. I think what would, where it goes now is we got the away leg at Anfield first. And then we have the Spurs game, and then we have the home leg. Yeah. So rather than the other way around, when we're, well, there was an FA Cup game between the two League Cup games, which was a nice little sandwich that we could decide what we want to do. But now we've got to really think about the away leg at Anfield, well, not one of the easiest place to go. And then we got we got Spurs away a few days later, and I'm not sure how we're going to do it. You know, I'm generally not sure how we're going to do it. We're probably going to. Well, I will say there is a five sub rule in those games. There's no need to keep people at home watching these tenders. They can all come and travel. But I think the FA Cup game, we can see a little bit of rotation, a chance to really rest some legs. But then we're going to have a compressed schedule for a while, and we've just got to hope the players can can get through it. You know, so I don't want to throw away a Liverpool game um, away at Anfield. I want to make sure we're in the tie at least, because I think it's important, given the fact that they managed to manipulate this situation for themselves that we don't just bowl up and let them have let them have double reward. Do you see what I mean? So um, I know what you're saying about the Spurs game, but we just got to play it, right? Spurs have got a game against Chelsea the day before. They're 2-0 down. They're going to have to play all their top boys anyway. So they get an extra day, but so what? All their best players will be playing in that game. Do you think I, so? I, I'm not. I'm not convinced. Yeah, they will be, mate. They, well, they played every single player of their best players in the first game against Chelsea, and there's only one player that normally played that started, and they got beat two 0 They're, they're going to want to get their pride back. They can at least start the game with a strong team and see how it ends. Five subs allows you to reduce the minutes. Ellie. That's the key thing. You know, you load. You can just reduce your minutes for people who are heavily loaded. And depending on the scoreboard, decide how you want to play it, right? So that's why I love five subs, right? You can do what you like. You can manipulate your squad, your team. People are all included. They feel they're going to be part of it. When you have three subs, you're talking about two people get on the pitch and you need to keep one sub in your back pocket for injury. And it's just a shame, really. So I'm I'm not sure there's an optimal way. I'm with you, though. Trust me, the Spurs day is the day. But I don't want Liverpool to get away with anything. Yep. And I mean, I realize this This probably seems like a silly question, but like if I could offer you three points away to Spurs 
or we win the League Cup? Which would you take? You know, I would go three points away to Spurs. I think it's time I would to. Too. I would, it's I time to. <laughs> I think as a as a club and as fans, I think we feel we're on the precipice of something. And losing that Spurs game would really dent a lot of people. We haven't had a chance to to build the momentum post-Man City, even though after a loss, we all know what we're talking about. That chance has been taken away the next game, taken away from us. We didn't have the Wolves game. And so there's a feeling of, you know what, this this is this feels really good. But but how real is it? <laughs> it's quickly the memories quickly fade. We need a game to reestablish ourselves. You know, little things are happening around the club and the majors up for major in a month again. We got two players out of six in Premier League player of the month. This people are starting to look at us a different way. This there's a situation last summer when Bakaya Saka got the England squad for the Euros and people are thinking, huh? Why? Who? Who's he? No one watched us. Everyone's watching us now. You know, and that's the difference. I think it's important we maintain that momentum. And um well, so yeah, so to answer your question in less than <laughs> in my style, <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, mate. I want I want the three points against Spurs badly, but I don't want Liverpool to get a pass. No, I hear you. And I, I think there's look, a few things we could probably agree on. No one is going to be excited about having won the League Cup if we're not playing in the Champions League next season, and it and we feel it is in any way because of what we did during this period. The reality is, though, I've created a bit of a false dichotomy, I, I admit, mm. because it is not impossible to play a pretty strong team against Liverpool and still go to Spurs and win. Like, it's not like those things are mutually exclusive. Like, you have to pick, if we go strong for the League Cup, we can't win against Spurs. So I, I realize that that is a false dichotomy, and I don't, I don't mean to create it, but I think, for me, the League Cup is such... I mean, I would have been happy if we crashed out of it earlier, candidly, because I, I, I think top four is 100% on, and I actually feel more that it's more on having watched the City game despite not winning it than I ever have because I think this is real. This team is good. We have to manage this period. Now, the funny thing is, Paul, we may not have a chance to, to go quote-unquote weak against Liverpool because we just don't have enough players in certain positions. Like, there's no midfielders. If you don't play Shaq and Lakanga. I don't know what you do, period. Um, and we'll discuss this more when we get to the transfer section. But I feel like maybe the Premier League or the league missed a trick here, Paul. So I'm sure you're not a baseball fan. Uh, I'm not a baseball fan, but I, I know a little bit just about American culture. And there was a player named Ernie Banks who played for the Chicago Cubs. And Major League Baseball used to do a thing called a doubleheader, where you'd have literally two baseball games on the same day that a team would play twice. And Ernie Banks was famed for saying, let's play two. He loved the doubleheaders. He'd say, let's play two. Paul, did... Did they miss a chance for a let's play two and just have us play Liverpool in the morning and Spurs in the evening? Like, why not that? Why not put all the fixtures on the same day? I mean, if you're really trying to screw us. Well, well, because like with baseball, people are basically standing on a pitch for about two and a half hours while one guy throws a ball and the other guy, if he manages to connect with it, which he does every four or five swings, runs about 20 yards and stops. Yeah. So yeah. so you can play five hours of that. If, yeah, uh, I mean... I, if I you think don't that, have that any back sense. trouble, you'd but, be grand. But look, it's very simple. You go up to Liverpool, you play a game, you get in the coach, you race back down to North London, and assuming the traffic is okay, you play the next game. You know, the yeah, fans yeah. will figure it out. No, oh, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Maybe there's some holes in this theory. Uh, before we move off this topic, Paul, I mean, do you, do you have strong feelings one way or the other? I, look, I cannot help what I feel. And I I want to address the fact that there are going to be people listening who are like, the League Cup trophy is an actual trophy. If we're not playing for trophies anymore, what are we playing for? And I, I get that that is a thing, but I have to admit, right? Like, there is an order of magnitude at which trophies matter, right? And, and the League Cup is not worth sacrificing any, like, the idea that Arsenal Football Club would be back in the Champions League next season is tantalizing. And what it does, well, I mean, we got to buy a striker. You know how much better it would be to try to buy a striker with Champions League football to offer? Like, I just, again, not to create the false dichotomy that you can only do one or the other, but for me, Paul, like, that trophy is not worth even a, you know, a 2 or 3% reduction in our chance at what we're really trying to achieve. Um. Yeah, but there's a lot of factors in play there with with your not false but not true dichotomy. It's kind of there's a kind of a, a an in the middle dichotomy which is winning's good, 
Right. The famed in the middle dichotomy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, winning's good. Um, I watched an interview of Arteta recently, and what struck me was the clarity in which he said the words when he was asked, you know, how are you doing? How would you measure yourself? And he's like, basically says, well, we haven't done anything yet. Um, we're here to win trophies. And it struck me that uh, it's just a reminder that that Pep at City always believed in going for the trophies. So I don't think we're going to play. We're certainly not going to go with your false dichotomy of we don't care about the League Cup is my bet. Um I think they'll talk to their sports medicine guys, their fitness guys, and they'll say, come up with a a formulation that gets us a fairly strong team. Liverpool won't have a super strong team, hopefully. Uh, Keeps us in the tie. We've got the home home tie, which will be after Spurs. So I think they'll put out a strong enough team to keep us in the tie. Um, Play Spurs and then... We'll go strong in the second leg and we'll try and get into the final. And we'll try and win the thing because silverware is good. Uh, it having a being in a final is positive for the league. Like it's not all one sided, right? There are things that help your Premier League progression, like success, being in finals, getting one over Liverpool, the psychology, like beating Liverpool over uh, two ties, um, having. Uh, putting in a strong performance against City in the Premier League, you start to believe in in the trajectory of the team. Um, now, you don't want to do anything that jeopardizes the North London Derby, so everything's a bit of a kind of a compromise, and you're moving the dials up and down and the sliders, and you're trying to get it about right. Um, but, yeah, I mean... It's, it's an opportunity as well to field a couple of young players, which you have to do. And so there's a chance uh, for, a, for a compromise and a bit of balance. We don't have a lot of midfielders, but we do have Charlie Patino. And he's a good young fella. He played whatever it was, 10 minutes for us. Maybe he can play a little bit more in, in the first leg, maybe not 90 minutes, but maybe he comes on for 30, 35 minutes. And I would be particularly interested to see him play because he's a left footer and we have Sambi who's a right footer and maybe the future at Arsenal will be behind our two starting midfielders to have those two young fellas coming along, uh, super talented. So, you know, maybe there's a little bit for everybody in the ties that are coming up. Yeah. And I mean, just so that the people out there don't accuse me of being a total killjoy, I would like to win the League Cup if we can do that. But I I think I, it, this is so hard because I, I realize that there's some people that absolutely cannot fathom the idea that you wouldn't want to win a trophy over some nebulous finishing position in the league. <clears throat> and I just hope that people can allow and that I just... Agree, be- like you'd agree that uh, throwing it or being seen to throw it um, can yeah. bring in a bad... you got to get the balance right, basically, right? Yeah, you, you and, can't and, and here's the it. hard part. To your yeah. point about throwing it, is it like... They're, they're, looking like you're throwing we had, it. Well, right, but like if we had our full squad, right? Full, full, full squad. There is a rotation you could do for that game where we would still be quote-unquote strong, but not full strength. And I don't know that that exists right now. I mean, that's that's the problem. I mean, I want to get into how we manage that and this period generally and the transfer window. But like the real issue here seems to be for me that we are just desperately short of the the people, the talent we need in this particular period. And there's a lot of ways you can solve that. But I think the first thing you have to do is be able to identify the talent you need to bring in. And let's face it, if you need to identify talent, you need indeed. I mean, if you don't have players on the field with the right skills, whether it's breakaway speed or elite playmaking ability, you're going to have a tough time winning. The same goes for your business and indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring the right players. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is a hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Think of it like a transfer portal only to transfer into your business. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't have to pay. 50 goal score, yeah, just make sure that that's what you have in the portal. You don't have to pay otherwise. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner. 
that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Indeed Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description. And you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements. This isn't like YouTube scouting, folks. This is like, you know, the real stuff. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire. And I'm going to check uh, if we have one for our podcast because, you know, I want to be a part of this. But but use this one for now. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to indeed.com slash blue wire to claim your $75 credit before March 1st. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Clive, is that enough of that? Very smooth, mate. Very smooth. Look, Clive, help me understand what we do in midfield during this period and why no. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who, who has, all he's wanted to do is play, is now leaving when he could play. I mean, we don't know if he is. It does seem like an interesting situation. Um, some rumors that we're going to let whole, uh, Ch- Chambers go, Pablo Marie go. Uh, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> going to have any problem with that. I'm not are they rumors that. or are they hopes? <laughs> I, well, they can be. Why not both? Um but but with respect to midfield, let's start there. Uh, do you think that Albert Sambi Lakanga and Granite Shaka can play every minute of every game until uh, other options become available, or will we have to find other options internally? I think Party misses two league games, isn't he? I think he misses Burnley and Spurs. So if you look at it, assuming there, you know he comes back when you expect him to come back, and you know ready think, to go, yeah. not, doesn't need a rest, you know. Yeah, obviously things could happen with COVID, etc. So. Burnley and Spurs, but there's also their three cup games in there as well that we know of, right? So, um, so he's a challenge for him to play. And so, who's the next man up, right? So, everyone's looking at Patino. I mean, I've seen him play, but I've seen him play with other children. <laughs> so, basically, he's a, he's very young, right? So, it's it's very difficult to see how he looks against men, you know, and and how he how he can cope. So. Maybe against Forest. I did watch the Swindon game online and he looked fine in that game. Against Forest, we'll see what happens in that game. But it looks as though we're gonna we're gonna gamble, isn't it? We're gonna gamble, we may go, we may do something like a four three three. And we could probably get away with that, it. Right? Yeah, we we've been playing sort of a diamond, haven't we, in, in there with yeah, our yeah, with yeah. our false nine and Odegaard slightly higher on the right and um, Shaka sort of doubling up as a double pivot and a left eight and pushing on when we need to, playing on the phase of play. So we can do things with the players that we have, Smith Rowe in particular, if we have to. Um, but we also know it doesn't always work. You know, there's a, there's a balance thing that Shaka offers that we don't have in anybody else. The fact that he does one and a half jobs is important for the group, and um, and no one else does it, right? So S- Sammy can do that role, obviously, but also Sammy can play the party role. So it'll be interesting to see what we do there, which one gets the central cog on the wagon wheel, and who's going to be slightly to the left. Will we give Shaka that? Well, I always think when Shaka plays as that central cog, unless he's got a back three behind him, I worry. I think he's just got a big X on his back, right? But when he's off to the side, I think he helps that person a lot, and he offers a wall pass to them. And he obviously progresses the ball down the left. I think we look much better for that left-sided progression. So I'm not sure what we're going to do. You know, I think we'll probably bring in in Smith-Rowe a lot more um, to play that deeper role. I don't think it's the end of the world. It's for two or three games maximum, right? And I don't think we need to be doing anything crazy. However, there are midfield targets which we can look at. There are loan options, um, which could be useful if there are transfer rumours from not just Maitland-Niles, but maybe on any as well. And then you're looking at a loan option, which I think would make a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to let everyone know, by the way, while Clive was talking, I did a really disgusting throat clearing, and I, I muted myself like a true professional, and you didn't hear it. So just just so you know, I am a learning computer. I, I can get things right. Yeah, I, I think one thing that's interesting, Paul, that Clive sort of hits on, before his dog started going mental, is that we have sort of been playing a little bit of a 4-3-3. I mean, Shaka has been playing more advanced, as we've seen, almost like a left-sided eight a little bit, or whether you want to call it a diamond or however you want to look at it. And what that does is I think it does give us more options in terms of how we now handle this period. Now, you could say we just play Shaka as the, the, the lone pivot and bring Smith-Rowe in to the position Shaka was playing. 
I'm very scared about the idea as, of Shaq as a single pivot. And you saw Thomas Party and how great he was as a single pivot against City, but he's in the wars. He's, you know, ducking and weaving and touching the ball around guys. And, you know, really that's where all the danger is. And he can elude that danger. And I don't know that I, I see Shaq doing that as well or in the same way. Now, I think Lakanga can do some of that, but obviously doesn't have the experience or the robustness. I, I, I would suggest that Mikel Arteta is probably going to trust Shaka to do it more than Lakanga, but it does give him a little flexibility in the sense that he can do a true double pivot with Shaka and Lakanga. He can continue with this more diamond-ish or 4-3-3-ish role and pick one of them for a single pivot and use Smith Rowe there. I mean, he'd be very, very attacking because then you'd have one of Shaka and Lakanga, both of Odegaard and Smith Rowe, Martinelli and Saka and Lacazette, which, I mean, in FIFA that sounds fun. Whether that works in real football, I mean, we may get to see. So do you think that that subtle tweak where Shaka has been playing almost more like a left-sided eight might actually help us be a little more flexible in how we get through this period because you you can use Shaka, Lakanga, but also some other options like a Smith Rowe uh, to come in for those positions. I mean, you could even theoretically, if you wanted to play like uh, Tavares as a winger, then you have other options for who comes inside. I, I, so I do think there's some flexibility there. Um, yeah, but the thing about the way we're playing at the moment with almost two eights is as Clive described it, it's Chaka pushing up. And that's the critical ingredient is that Chaka can also slide back and he has uh, the defensive positioning, awareness, presence, size, and none of the others do. Uh, Arteta talked about Odegaard when he was in that position. Uh, He didn't mention him by name, but uh, it was a Crystal Palace game. He talked about those players aren't good against transition. I think the same is basically true of Smith-Rowe. And the next time he tried with with the two lads, Smith-Rowe and Odegaard, he had them flipped the other way around and and, uh, Odegaard was to the right. So um, I just don't think it really works in that format with anybody but Chaka. It, it could come How about of, this? Yeah. Can, can I can I throw a typical Arsenal solution at you just real quick? Because yeah. people people are going to be screaming it. Here we go. We love this. We've always loved this. Take one guy out of one position, put him in another position. He doesn't play for us. What about the Benjamin White central midfield? Tomiyasu or you know a n other like Holding comes in to center back. Yeah, I, I think it's talked about more than it's realistic. I mean, I think Agreed. he has yep. he has the skills, right? But he just doesn't play that position. People say, "Oh, he played there for Leeds." He didn't really. Um, I watched. I think he played. He was. If you look at the uh, the positional layouts, there's three games they say he played that way. I, I went and looked up two of the games. That's not really what happened. I won't bore you with the details, but he was not the midfielder we're looking for. I mean, he was fine, but he wasn't doing that job. He was doing more of a man-marking thing against Smith-Rowe when they played Huddersfield. Like, it was all man-marking. It wasn't midfield, etc., etc. So I don't think he's... Obviously, he looks like a guy who could fit in midfield. Declan Rice used to be a centre-back. He moved into midfield. Uh, He now jokes about being more of an attacking midfielder. So it's something that can happen. I we might do it in a game if we were in desperate straits and somebody got injured, I could see that happening, but I don't think it'd be the plan. I think the plan has to be that Chaka, as we know, is left-footed, Sambi's right-footed. That matters to Arteta more than most coaches. I think there's a good chance Sambi will just do the party role, Chaka will do the Chaka role, um, and we will try and keep it sensible and taking along. And if we do anything, maybe in the cup games, we might see more of a three uh, with Chak in the center. And I don't know, they'll try Odegaard on the right and, and Smith throw on the left, but it won't be great. It might just, it's like my second choice, if you're not going to play the two lads in every game, would be something like a three with uh, Chaka. Like it, it would seem way too light you're going to have to play Jack in every game because otherwise you're going to be way too light. Sambi with uh, Smith Rowe and uh, Odegaard will be great fun going forward and potentially a nightmare going backwards just because they don't have the heft in midfield and it's just all too new and all too different and all too young. So without Chaka, mm. then the question is, can Sambi play three, four games in a row? I think he can. Yeah, so, I agree. 
if he doesn't get injured, I think they're just going to play the two boys basically for the best part of 90 minutes yeah. with Sambi playing like party plays right now. They're going to have to keep Chaka to the left, I think, because although we're not doing anything extreme in terms of covering the full back position as Tierney bombs forward, it's still an area of the pitch that we tend to have Chaka drop into the back line if needed or become an extra centre-back if we're under pressure. Like, everybody knows the patterns back there, so my guess yeah. will be they'll they'll do a like-for-like like swap with Sambi and Party. I agree. And I, the only thing I'll say is I don't think Arteta will want to give Sambi the same responsibility he's given Party. so I don't know if it'll be as much of a single pivot. I, I, I think we, we might see more. We used to see where they both... Like Chaka and Party would both do a bit of both, and I think yeah. we'll yeah. see that. Yeah, one one goes and one stays. I, Clive, I mean, maybe as you address this a, a little more, we can also transition the conversation a little bit to whether or not you think someone might come in for this position and who that might be. I mean, I'm skeptical. You certainly wouldn't want to go get a guy that that isn't a fit longer term just yeah. to solve a couple week problem but there's you know there's guys like Jack Wilshere who've been training with us there's guys like Aaron Ramsey coming back to the league somewhere from from Juventus I'm not saying these are the right solutions I'm just throwing the names out there do you have any do you have any thoughts on that yeah so i think when you think about our team right so we have our we we always try to get our five lanes filled up right so you have your your five attacking lanes and we've done a little bit less but we tend to have five attackers and your five behind the ball are the guys that are preparing the attacks. Right? So you know, another option to take the load off of our central midfielders do a lot like we did a lot against City. We built up, we also went long. So just play slightly differently and play in the areas we want to play that actually give the ball away to the other team and we take it from them in their half. And then the the onus on having the perfect midfield <laughs> is not so great because but the onus on having fresh forwards is great. And we've lost, you know, potentially to rotation options in those areas. So I see players like Eddie and Ketter being very important during this period, for example, who can play inside and and out. So if if, if we start to see people like Eddie go, I would I would worry slightly, you know. So so when it comes down to, I, I do so sorry, I do think that Sambi would be the better option inside um, and and Shaka to the left just to keep the dynamics the same. Although you know, I could easily flip just based on who we think is the most responsible player and experienced player to do that job. So, But I would keep it very similar to how we're doing it right now. Now, there are two options. I'm just going to give one option that's been out there, which I quite like, and one loan option. Right, So a longer-term option from a central midfield perspective. And forget all the ones like Bruno, Gamaris, and all the exciting names that are out there, which could potentially happen because... Um, Kia's in the room on that one, and we all know Kia's always got our best interests at heart. So, and and he's a very good player, plays for Leon, and can easily play that left eighty type role, and also plays a single pivot. There's a young player that plays for Bologna called Matthias Fanberg, and a player I knew nothing about, but YouTube him to death, and I look at him and I think I'm trying to predict the type of players that we may get, and I quite like the players that come with less expectation. He's at Bologna now, so got a relationship with them. He's a central midfielder that started as a wide man, but he's happy out in wide areas, can travel, he can go both ways. He's a right footer, loves sweeping the ball over to the left. Quite tall, about 6'2", quite energetic, and looks a really Arsenal-type, new, a new Arsenal-type signing to me. And I do like his energy, and I do like the fact that he started as a wigger and he's a carrier and then now he's come inside, which means when he's on the touchline, he knows how to defend. But when he's inside, he knows how to get out the press and carry, but also can pass. I quite like that profile of player, if I'm honest. As a lone player, that I've, again, I've only just read it and I don't know how real it is, but Gini Wijnaldum is struggling at PSG. If you're looking for a six-month loan and you are serious about potentially saying, look, you know what, El Nini, is he really going to be it? Ainsley is obviously in departure lounge. Do we need somebody else to come in to make sure we have four solid options in centre midfield because we've got a chance to reduce the, the, the length of this project by sneaking to Champions League this year? Not just by how we're playing, but by how Manchester United are playing, by how Spurs are playing, but West, what West Ham's schedule is. There's an opportunity here that's presenting to us and sometimes you just need to do something to make sure you can get it. 
you know. So that would be potential options. One, a much more forward-thinking signing in Svanberg, a short-term signing, but there's also rumours of Bruno Gamares, which is a longer-term sign that could happen in the month of January. I'm cool, whichever we decide to do, but that's the sort of names that are in my head at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things that I think we can rule out. I, I don't see Jack Wilshire being an option. I mean, unless you're like, hey, we'll just use him in the League Cup games or the FA Cup game, and it's just grinding out some minutes. I, I don't think you have to do that. I think you literally are better off giving those minutes to an academy player. I, and I have always loved Jack Wilshire, but like, I just don't think the player is there anymore, unfortunately. Um, Aaron Ramsey, like... I don't think it's going to happen, by the way, but I'm a romantic. I do love Aaron Ramsey. I can't help it. The heart wants what the heart wants. Seeing Aaron Ramsey back in the midfield, dragging us back into the top four in the Champions League, like there's a there's a romantic story in there that I would love. I mean, the Amazon documentary would would love it, I'm sure. But like, again, probably not the right choice. And I, I accept also that what you want is availability and availability has never been his strength. But, you know, I, I, I believe that there's something in the relationship with that player in the club and the fans and such that if he came back, could he could he lift us a few times? It only takes a few times, a couple of games that he plays and has to be influential. And I do think if the engine is still there, that he can do the kind of stuff that, that a Mikel Arteta would want. But I, I do tend to agree that Gini Wijnaldum actually probably would be a better option if you're talking about these sort of short-term loan moves. I do think someone has to come in. I do think midfield is an area where if we can strengthen, we should. Um, with Maitland-Niles going, um, so I would do it. Uh, now, would I? Pu- I'd pull a summer signing forward if we wanted to do something permanent, but I wouldn't make a permanent signing, obviously, that we weren't planning to do just to get through the balance of this season. So I think you go with a loan option and you hope it winds up being more Yossi Benayoun or more Martin Odegaard than Dennis Suarez, Kim Kallstrom. Right, and that's that's just what you're hoping for. So, Paul, I mean, do you have a preference where you stand on the on the options that we would go for there? I mean, I think, you know, I'm fine with outgoings. I think outgoings have to happen. The Maitland Niles one is weird to me because, like, finally, finally, we could actually probably really use him and use him in the position where he wants to play. But maybe the relationship just isn't there anymore, and so it's time to say goodbye. Uh, but since it seems like that is going to potentially happen, and again, it's a rumor, so maybe it won't. But it does seem like there's there's fire with that smoke do you have a, a short-term fix that jumps out at you uh no i don't i mean ramsey would be interesting uh but it, it just like the the money side of it he's on big wages so uh he, big doesn't begin to describe it <laughs> yeah so and uh, there's no way no, it would have to be like a uve pays a chunk of it we only pick up a chunk of it and there's no loan fee or so it would have to be a really sweet deal economically to make really really sweet deal and and so i just think that's going to preclude that um and beyond that like if there's a player we already wanted and we can pull it forward you do that uh if there's a martin odegaard floating around there but more of a a central midfielder that kind of alone you do that so look there's going to be options there um and but it is only for two games uh plus some cup games so um, well plus like if shaka gets injured or suspended if party you know comes back from afcon not in good shape like Presuming you think Shaka and Party are going to play every single game the rest of the season once they're back, great. But there's the question then is: yeah, is Sam B and no one else really? Yeah. Uh, if you if we're done with El Nenny, um, we don't really have anything be- besides Shaka and Party and Sam B to fill in, and he's a very you know he's a young, lightweight talented central midfielder we're pretty bloody light so yeah you you could get a Odegaard type uh loan central midfielder a little more solid a little bit more dependable a little more uh bringing some heft through the winter months who might get a reasonable run of games depending on on illness and and injuries so look that's basically it. They either pull forward somebody they were going to get in the summer um, or they find a good loan option for a good, solid, dependable midfielder. And yeah. uh, But th- that's the unknowable, right? We don't know where our, our, our buddy Edu is at the moment. 
flying around talking to people. We'll say this happen. Yeah. He's been posting on Instagram again, so you know there's a good madness sign. coming. That's a good <laughs> sign. Yeah, exactly. It's a good sign. <laughs> there's par- parties on Instagram, so that's that. That's when the madness is going to happen. I mean, just, Paul, top of your head, you think we do any business, no business, loan business, signing business? What do you think we do in January? Um, I, like, I think we'll do something, but I have no idea what it is. I, I think we might do the central midfielder loan, and maybe there's some... Like, it's not a bad time to find a young fella out there and bring him in, um, but he probably won't impact our season. So, yeah, I yeah. think that's it. We, we we look for a central midfielder loan uh, who would not just suit the next couple of day, games, but the run-in for the season because we're pretty light outside of El Nenny. But, I yeah. mean, Arteta does seem to like El Nenny as a kind of continuation midfielder, so... They may literally be saying, who do we need for two games? Yeah, I mean, I I think midfield is a position that strengthening... If we look back on this season and we say we didn't quite get top four and you said, what held us back? If I just had to guess, I'd say we didn't have the legs in midfield over the course of the season. That would be the area I'd look at. I mean, potentially, Clive, you could maybe say striker because... Uh, Balogun is going out on loan to Middlesbrough, which is great. He needs to play. I don't think he was going to be a factor in our season. I don't know what's going to happen with Enkedia. So beyond Lacazette, I mean, if you think that the Aubameyang thing is done at Arsenal, and it may be, and by the way, we're not we're not going to touch on the him having COVID thing. Like he has COVID, everybody has COVID. Wh- whether you want to, you know, apportion blame or not apportion blame, what I will say is, it, I think seven AM kickoff wrote well on it, but I I don't think it's even an Arsenal issue at this point. So. Striker would be the other position you could say that we might want to do something. I think we, speaking of Aubameyang, we did get him in January. Um, I don't know. Do you think that that's another position where we might we might surprise people? Yeah, I think that's as important, really, um, because Aubameyang, we don't know where he is, uh, whether the club is still you know connected to him, and so that situation looks like we've lost our main striker and previous skipper. We're relying on Lacazette, who's pretty robust, but we all know he's not a 95-minute player. So Eddie is being looked at by a number of clubs, including you know clubs in Germany, also Crystal Palace and Brian Schock. And, um, and he suddenly looks like an asset again. So Pepe, we don't seem to want to use him inside, and we don't seem to be invested in manipulating him positionally to maximise what we get from him. And plus he's at the African Nations anyway. And so I think this is this is as important, and I think this is where you really, you know, when it comes down to it, Elliot, what you do when it comes to goals, mate, that's what's transformed us recently. It's been our ability through Martelli, Smith-Rowe and Saka to score. You know, and that's what's changed everything. It's changed our feelings about the project, the manager, everything has changed <clears throat> because we've just, we can just score. And I think having that ability to score if someone goes cold is the key thing that keeps his momentum going. And so now we, I'm, I'm really happy with the, the back door, the team, the, you know, injury, injury. Hopefully, with a bit of luck of injury, but that front end, we, it's not right for me yet. And so, adding somebody as a loan in there would be really useful. And I think that's why the rumours that we are hearing about Vlajevic, for example, they're quite strong. I think if you are looking at this, you're thinking, you know what, we have got a chance here, and we may need to do something if it's a, if there's a financial opportunity to do something. Like Fiorentina again, it's just rumors. I've got no. I'm just reading. What everyone else is reading. I can see why that's a priority. I think we can mix and match intention midfield, but if we can steal a forward that gets hot, everything changes. You know, and I think that's a key position for me. So, yeah, there's a few options out there, but I think everything changes. And when it comes to the striker, I think there's a deeper discussion to have about how we want to play up there, and I think. What people are naturally doing is they're looking at Lacazette and saying, okay, we need a Lacazette. You know, and they're forgetting the fact we need a Lacazette and a Bamiang in one body. That's what we've been saying previously until we found this new balance. And the balance, part of that balance is the two speeders on the outside. So do we need another speedster on the outside to supplement what we have in the centre, in the, in the false line position? Or do we need a nine that's got speed? So I think this is a one, two person job still. And it depends how we want to do that. And I think this is the most interesting bit about the next phase of Arteta because he hasn't bought forward yet. And it's going to be so interesting to see what he does. 
Yeah, it, it really is. And I mean, the, the thing that's fun that makes last summer look so, so good, I really felt that we were in a multi-year, multi-window rebuild to try to tear up what was rotten in the squad, tear it out and replace it. And that we'd be doing that over a, ser- a series of several windows. We got so much right last summer and Arteta and Edu and everyone deserves such huge credit for that, that now we really feel, I think if you ask most Arsenal fans, you know, last summer, oh, we need this, we need that, we need this. We need, now it's like central midfield and striker. That's it. That's what we need. And I think a lot of people feel that those last pieces can take us up to the level we need to be. I mean, hell, we played, I think outplayed Manchester City, untouchable Manchester City. And I realize one game does not a, a title challenge make, but our best players are all 20, 21, 22, 23. The, this is a really good position we're in now. And I don't think anybody expected top four this season. I shouldn't say anybody. I think we wanted to be back in top six. But to be able to get Champions League football back is such a shortcut on what we want to do and gives us so much more recruitment power and so much more prestige to go out and find these other pieces that I think if you can do something now that gets you across that line, the benefit of it is immense. And you know, I, I want to say just really quickly, you know, someone in the Discord on the Patreon side of things asked, Basically, you know, where I stand on Arteta and who I'd get rid of him, like what coaches I'd consider worth getting rid of him for, Uh, you know, like at this point, you know, who who would that list be? And I want to be clear right now, based on how things are going, this is right now my most up to date opinion on how things are. You'd be crazy to make a change for anybody. Because everything feels like it's pulling together. The players feel like they play for this manager. The manager feels like he's found his stride. Not just in, you know, you could say, oh, he found his stride years ago. I always backed him. You always hated it. Whatever it is. The point is, he's found his stride in terms of football that I think is not just, you know, coherent, but now really elite winning football that can press, that can score goals, that can create chances, that can maximize where our best, brightest talent is. He's found roles for players that, you know, people used to hem and haw. Does he like Martinelli? You know, like it just feels really coherent now. So, Paul, I, I feel like the whole project feels very stitched together. Can we do something now that just gets us over that line and maybe shortcuts the process? That would be it. Uh, as a last word, do you have any thoughts on on what that might be? Is is striker a piece that we we go for now? No, uh, I think it's such a critical <laughs> piece, right? That you only want the guy you want. Um, and again, taking the kind of the Pep Man City theme, uh, they play a lot of football without worrying about uh, who their center forward is. Um, our best football under Arteta has been when Lacazette uh, plays more as a 10 than a 9, uh, opening up that space, uh, kind of pulling the centre-backs down, coll- collapsing the centre so that Martinelli and Saka can run in behind. <clears throat> um, we have Martinelli to use as a striker. So to, to Clive's point, if Lacazette shouldn't or can't or doesn't play 90 minutes of every game for the time being, but why would you change what's working? But if he can't, you got Martinelli. You got Smith Rowe as well, who I think, when you think of what we ask for from Lacazette, uh, Smith Rowe can do, uh, like we tried him once as a a, uh, a false nine, <clears throat> which may, which didn't work out. But then you say, well, why did we try him? Well, maybe because he does actually have the potential profile for it. So I think within the squad at the moment, we go for the next six months and we use the options we have internally. We can use Martinelli at striker, get Smithrow on the left. We could use Smithrow as a 10 to fill in for 15, 20 minutes or so for a few games as he learns the position, connecting the dots, making the runs back into the box as we ask Lacazette to do. But... Actually, Smith Rowe will go all the way to the six-yard box. Lacazette tends to settle more around the penalty area. Slightly different ways of of their patterns and running in, but Smith Rowe is a great combo player as Lacazette is with Saka on one say, side, uh, swing over the other side to to work with uh, Martinelli. I don't know. I think there's there's enough there between Martinelli as a Trying, trying him as a striker through the center and Smith throw on the left or Smith throw through the middle. And, uh, you know, a, a, an option that kind of Clive has hinted at is is Pepe a little more centrally. Like there, there are options there and I don't think um, it's so hard to get the right striker um, that I doubt they're coming to us 
in January. I just I just don't yeah. think you do anything but the 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 benchmark that you're looking for the the best fit striker. Uh, it's also going to be very very expensive and probably a lot more expensive if you try and get it six months early in January than the the yeah. club wanted to sell. Look, if you can find someone who's unsettled and just wants to change the scenery for a few months, you know, if, if an Erling Holland wants to come on loan, you know, you do it, I think. Um, but otherwise, no. The the, the upshot, I think, where, where, where we have an advantage is because our striker isn't really scoring a lot of goals and that's not even really the role we're giving him. I mean, we'd like him to. I think we actually have some flexibility. Like, I think Smith Rowe can play false nine. I think Nicola Pepe can play false nine. I think we have players who can come in and do what Lacazette's doing, even if they're not technically strikers because he's not playing technically exclusively as a striker so a lot of options there let's leave it there there's going to be another pod tomorrow from the las vegas studio so we got a lot more to cover and hopefully there'll be tons of breaking news about arsenal being disciplined for having a cannon on their badge which is you know a a warmongering symbol and we get kicked out of english football saying i don't know we'll see something ridiculous or we'll sign a bunch of players which would be a lot more fun clive's on twitter at clive psc thank you thank you very much paul's on twitter pause my pants thanks pause woohoo my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, we will have all of our transfer stuff starting on Patreon next week. So there'll be um, scouting videos and stuff, and we use uh, a, a professional scouting platform to do that. It's not just like YouTube and stuff. So it's, if you've never seen it and you're interested, uh, hopefully it'll be something you look forward to, and hopefully we'll find some players that excite you. Uh, we may do things that excite you, we've been told. So let's hope. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Of course. 